Hello, and welcome to Sobercast. We provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in a podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Also, if you're a member of NA or have friends that are, please tell them about our other podcast, NAPOD. NAPOD features NA speakers and workshops in the same format as Sobercast. We upload a new speaker every day, and it's easy to subscribe by searching for NAPOD, N-A-P-O-D, all one word, on any podcast player app, or go to NAPOD.XYZ if you'd like to listen online. Hope you enjoy the podcast and have a great day. My name is Alex and I'm an alcoholic. I've been sober since uh, July 4th, 2001. For that period of time, I'm extremely grateful. Um, yeah, it's fine. My name is Alex. If you heard it right. Um, I come from a long line of very selfish people. Um, if you spend any time at all around me, you, you'd see that. Um, I'm in the right place. I often think um, of my great ancestor, Thinker Self. You know, the guy who sat for that... For that. <laughs> I, I know how that guy fell, and I'm certain that he's my ancestor. I mean, I see my ancestors up on a hill just spending time just time in their head, you know, just trying to figure it out. And I know I spent a lot of time there myself, being a self. And uh, it's, so, it's so wonderful to, to hear laughter. Um, I love my home group. I spoke in a group uh, a couple weeks ago. And um, I was talking to my friend Steve. Steve T was there from our group, and um, I said, "Steve, you know, I was, I thought I was going to kill him. I had some really funny lines, and, and all I heard out there was crickets." And he said, "Don't worry, Alex. It wasn't that you weren't funny. It's just because no one was listening." And I said, <laughs> <laughs> "It's like, all right, Steve. Thanks a lot. The, the sensitivity thing goes away in the second year. I assure you, man. No problem." But, um. I'm just so glad to be here in my home group tonight with my family. You know, um, my beautiful wife Robin's here, and um, so glad that she's here with my family. And my wife's an Al-Anon, and I'm an alcoholic, and it's, I'm just so grateful that there's a place for us to go to recover as a family. You know, I know a lot of places I hear of Annoy talk a lot about. You know, they just as soon as shoot us as let us sit in their meeting. I just can't believe that. I mean, I don't know why. Like if like if I'm any better than her, you know, I'm like this, a scumbag of the highest order. I mean. My wife, you know, God bless her, she's just like a loser magnet, you know. She She can't help it, you know. Her father was an alcoholic, her first husband's an alcoholic, and I'm an alcoholic. She just really knows how to pick them, you know. I thank God that she's found some place where where she can recover, and I never... um, realize that her disease is, is as deadly as mine. I mean, I thought that it was like, you know, I'm an alcoholic. My job is to think about me and what I'm doing. And, and, and she's an Al-Anon, and her job is to think about me and what I'm doing, you know. And I, I couldn't figure out. I, I could never figure that out. I mean, I, I spend just long periods of time just thinking of nobody but myself. I'm a driver. I drive down the road a lot, and I, and I just sit there, and I'll be like three hours, and I think, man, I got a wife and I got kids. I get so ashamed of myself because I don't even think about them. I'm just just driving and me, 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 and it's it's hell, you know. And I I thank God that there's a place where I can come where I can just have that 
arrested, you know, albeit for a small amount of time, you know. <laughs> as soon as I come back, my grand sponsor talks about it, you know. He comes here and it's like, you know, he's he gets his what he needs and he and he, he walks out the door and it's like he's a resentment magnet, like this suit just just these things just coming. Or he can go to bed and feel good, and the next morning it's like someone just comes during the night and just pumps him right in the rump full of selfishness, you know. I mean, he could be selfless at the meeting, but then as soon as he leaves, you know, and I, I understand that because it's just, I mean, it's it's just crazy being an alcoholic. I, I'm just so grateful that I know what I am today. I mean, um, we, uh, for a long time I didn't, and I hear from, from behind the podium people talk about they never felt comfortable in their own skin, and they, they didn't feel quite right, and um, I relate to that certainly. But I heard a tape by Clancy the other day, uh, it was from Norman in 1981, and I think I hear Susan's laughter in the background. I'm sure you, Susan's laugh. I can always peg it wherever tape I'm listening to. You can hear that laugh, and she's usually in the front row. But he says, he says that he's a, a thinker and a feeler, and I am definitely that. My whole life, I've been a thinker and I've been a feeler. You know, I've just always felt just seems like I've just felt things, you know. Um, I've always put on this, like, in this, like, I don't know, it's like a suit of cockiness or, or confidence, and it's all just a, a facade because I'm really, I'm a sensitive person, and I don't like people to know that I'm sensitive, but, but I truly am, and, and it's just little things, you know, like, why did she look at me that way? You know, I don't understand. She must hate my guts. You know, I, I never even did anything to her. I don't know why she hates me. You know, and I can just spend days. And next time I see this person, and it's it's getting worse. She looked at me even worse this time. And and then I'll come and talk to that person later on and say, you know, did you really hate me as much as I did? And she, what? I didn't even know who you were to introduce yourself about five minutes ago. You know, but. But I think that, you know, it's always all about me. Man. Everything's about me, and I, and I certainly know that you guys understand that. But I'm supposed to uh, tell you in a general way what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, I was born in, uh, in 1968 in the great state of Texas, in San Antonio. And, uh, and I spent about five minutes there and moved to Southern California. And I grew up uh, about 20 minutes from Disneyland. It's about... In Orange County, California, it's about three hours from Mexico, and um, the neighborhood I grew up in was, it was a really bad hippie neighborhood is about the only way I could describe it, and there was a lot of long-haired guys getting loaded on a lot of things, and um, I remember um, playing in my in the gutter in front of my house, and we played with hypodermic needles, like with squirt guns, you know, me and my brother would shoot each other, and, and that's just the kind of thing it was growing up, and we used to see a lot of, a lot of things going on, just like blood baths, you know, the junkies... You know, the Larley brothers beating themselves over each other's heads with bicycles, you know. It's like, my bike? No, it's your bike. And just an ambulance coming. These guys just walking around their eyes out of their socket, you know. And I didn't know what it, I guess that was alcoholism, you know. And growing up, I didn't know that. I had a brother named Mike who who I knew was an alcoholic. I didn't know what an alcoholic was then, but this guy drank an awful lot of wine, and he sure smelled funny, you know. Um he didn't even try the old mouth, mouthwash trick. He just just drank and openly drank. He'd be these big gallons of gallo wine, and uh, and he used to get in a lot of fights with my dad. And I remember my dad would, uh, when we were little kids, he would say like he'd give me and my brother a lamp, and he'd say when Mike comes in, if he starts anything, I want you to hit him over the head with his lamp. My dad was um, was really old when he had me. My dad was 65 years old when when I was born. I was the last of God knows how many kids he had. I I don't even know. My dad was married, I think, six or eight times. 
he was born in 1904, so there's no records. No. <laughs> my mom is this little, you might remember when my mom came, she's this little bitty Mexican lady. It's like my dad is like 6'4", 260, and my mom's a little bitty Mexican lady. So I'm about as half-breed as they come. I'm like right down the middle. My dad's like John Wayne and my mom's Charo, you know. And, <laughs> and out came self. And I was the... <laughs> I was the last, the last um, kid born, and I don't like I said I don't know. I have uh, my oldest sister. I went to go visit my father's grave um, around my birth. My mom came down, and I had a chance to make amends to my father. I mean, the only way I could was to write him a letter and put it on his grave, and I prayed. And um, I got to see my oldest sister's grave, and she died in like 1922, I think. She died of. Uh, Appendicitis before they even had a cure for appendicitis, or they didn't even knew what to do about it. I mean, she had appendicitis. You died back then if you had it, and she'd probably be 80 something right now. My dad was 83 when he died, but I don't have uh, really any complaints about growing up. I mean, I was very loved. I was my dad's favorite kid, and my mom was kind of like my brother was her favorite kid, and 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 they loved us. And we had everything we could ever want. You know, if 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 the, uh, the washing machine broke, they'd get a new one. The fridge broke, they'd get a new one. The car broke, they'd get a new one. There was always food in the fridge, and they loved us. You know, we played Little League, and and um, I went to school and got good grades, and, and things were looking up. You know, I uh, I was actually, believe it or not, uh, <laughs> I had a lot of potential when I was a kid. I was I was kind of like the, I was the smartest, I was the dumbest kid in the smartest class. I just made it over the fringe where I could get into, you know, the class with all the geeks, you know. I'd be in class with like these kids. They were like Poindexters, you know, and and I felt like I, you know, once again I was just so cool. I mean, I was terrified because I wasn't as smart as these kids, but I could put on that facade of, you know, at least you know I might be able to get a girlfriend. What are you going to do, Frankenstein? You might be able to finish your test first, but you know, but but uh, but I was terrified, you know, I, I was. I was a fraud, and, and, and whenever I would try to get a chick, God forbid she would reject me because I would just go into just this pit of just self-pity, you know. And that's just the way I lived my life when I was a little kid. I, I just, there was always something wrong with me, and I never knew what it was. I mean, it just, like I said, I was a thinker and I was a feeler. I just seemed like a, everything I felt, I just like magnified, and I would just be in my head constantly, you know. And... um I guess it was about, I don't remember when it was I had my first drink. I was probably about 12 years old, and I remember, um, so we just got some beer. And um, and we got a six-pack of Mickey's and a six-pack of Killian's and a six, all just a smorgasbord of this beer, and, and we just started drinking. And I don't remember exactly, like I said, the day or the night or whatever, but I remember drinking and just, I mean, it was like, man, I mean, why would anybody not want to do this? I mean, it's just, I took this drink, and it's just all my worries just went away, you know? And, and all these girls I was afraid to talk to, I could talk to. And all the guys I was afraid of that, you know, I could just talk to. And we'd laugh and, and, and carry on into the night. And it was just like, I mean, I really relate to Bill's story. It's like I had arrived. I mean, I was a really young kid, but... And, and I remember my dad sitting me down, you know, before this, back up a little bit. I remember sitting down in our front yard after my brother Mike had ripped off our TV and split, you know, and and, um, and him and my, my dad had gotten into a fight I didn't see, but he was kind of bloody and he had a broken hand. And I remember sitting down in our front yard and he made me promise him, 
you know, Alex, promise me that you'll never, you'll never drink. He said, you'll, and you'll never sniff glue is what he asked me to do. I still haven't sniffed glue yet. I guess that's the one thing I could say I haven't done. But, uh, but I took that first drink, you know, and it just seemed like everything just fell into place. You know, I just was, wasn't nervous anymore. And, and I mean, I took to it just like, I mean, bam, it wasn't, I didn't just have a drink. And I hear people talk about, you know, then several years later I had a drink. I had a drink and just kept drinking, you know. I was drinking um, right away, like, it seemed like every weekend, you know, I'd go to school and then I just kind of quit going to school. And then we would ditch school and drink and do all the other things. And I remember um, when I was in high school, we had really... We had really lofty aspirations as kids. You know, some kids are trying to figure out what college they're going to go to or if they're going to be a professional this or that ball player, you know. And, and w- my goal for the day was to get $8.17. It was $5 for a nickel bag and $3.17 for a 12-pack of Schaefer beer. And that's what we did every day. We'd pull our school money together. We'd rip off money from the mom's slender purse, whatever it was, and to get that $8.17 so we could... So we could get our groove on, you know. I mean, that's that's all we did. And, it, and and from a very very early age, before I was even 15 years old, I remember I was fully addicted to drugs and alcohol. I mean, that's what my neighbors did. And that's what my brother did. That's my mom and dad. They didn't, but but that's we just that's what we did. Everyone in our neighborhood did that. I don't know why anyone would not want to do that. I mean, I mean, from being a nervous wreck to just being you know in in the in crowd. I mean, there was just no there was no choice for me. So I just went on and, and did this, and um, and it just got worse, you know. And I remember um, I dropped out of school, dropped out of high school. And they quit telling me I had potential because I just I, I quit going to school altogether. I quit playing sports, and I ended up living in my mom's garage. I think I was about 16 or 17 years old, and I like to hear Scott Johnson talk about living in his mom's garage. You know, it was like a paradise for me. I had. An old rug I put in there and threw my mattress on the floor and had a little TV in there, my own separate entrance, you know. I could hop, I'd go get my stuff and hop the fence and go in my room and just sit in there and drink. And, and about this time, I, I started working as a mover. I'm a furniture mover, and it was a great job for me um, because we could go and, and pack up people's stuff. And um, we would just tell them things like, you know, we can't pack your alcohol. It's against the law. You can't transport it in a truck, you know. We'll be glad to take it with us. And... And I would I would just take home like a, gallons of vodka and just go to the garage and I'd just sit in the garage and just you know and I like uh, Brian Brian whatever from Canyon Conference that that guy was so funny I had my own pair of Foddy shorts you know and I'd sit in there and put on the Foddy shorts and I would drink my vodka just drinking straight vodka in there and, and just entertain myself you know I had my dog it's all I needed me and Bluto my dog you know we sat in the garage and then I got ripped and Bluto would kind of look at me with that sideways dog look you know and I'd just get hammered in there and, and I would just surface I'd go to work I'd come home my vodka and then go back in the garage and it was kind of a strange thing because you know other people's lives were kind of taken off you know people were going to college and getting married and doing all these things and and there I was I'd go to work and come home and 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 lived in my garage and um and and like I said I was a mover and we started uh hitting the road and uh and on one of these road trips, we happened to go through Denver, Colorado, and um, I met a girl in a bar there, a little bar called the Horseshoe, and a truck stop bar, believe it or not. And um, and it, it, it's funny, it's a funny story, because uh, <laughs> I was sitting there doing my thing, getting ripped, you know, and um, 
And this girl just came out of nowhere. This big girl came out of nowhere. She scared me. And she said, you know, my friend really likes you. And I was like, thank God, you know, your friend. <laughs> it was the scariest thing. Because she, she came up and grabbed me very inappropriately. I hadn't even met the girl. And she's like, hey. And I was like, whoa. And she, she just scared me to death. And she says, my friend really likes you. She wants to meet you. I said, well, all right. You know, I hadn't been with the girl. By this time, the girls, anything like that, it was just, I just wanted to just get ripped. I could care less. The whole rejection thing, I didn't want to even deal with it. You know, if you don't like me, well, guess what? I hate you even more. That was my thing. And she says, my friend really likes you, and she wants to meet you. And, and so she brought me over to, to Robin. And, um, and we sat, and we talked, and, and I, you know, she started asking me questions, and I started lying. And I remember she, she asked me, you know, do, do you drink much? And I said, oh, no, no, just once in a while. And she said, well, do you do drugs? Oh, no, no, I never touched this stuff, you know. And I was just lying my butt off, and, and we hit it off really well. And it... it <laughs> Came, it's funny thing, came to find out so I, I was the wrong guy. She liked my friend, and I guess her friend was drunk or something, and she came and got me. I was the wrong guy. And, 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 if, and if, if, if this drunken woman had to grab the, wrong, the right guy and brought her to Robin, you'd probably have a different speaker here tonight because I probably wouldn't have met her. And, um, you know, I've been following around Robin for a long time. And, um, and so uh, we hooked up, and I... Went to her house and, and stayed the night. I mean, couldn't believe such a good girl like her would be so uh, <laughs> forward like that. But we spent the night. and uh, <laughs> I took off and, 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 and went back to California, and we just kept in contact. We were writing. And, and she had two little girls, or three- and four-year-old girls. And I remember the next day when uh, we were, she was driving me back to my friend's truck, um, and I remember sitting next to April, young April, and she was like three or four years old. And I remember she was sitting next to me, and she looked at me, and then she looked at her mom, and she said, Mom, he stinks. <laughs> <laughs> and then she looked, looked back up at me, and she looked at her mom, and she said, He really stinks. <laughs> it was my first resentment against April. And, and um... He went. She went and dropped me off my truck, and I took off, and we corresponded. We wrote letters back and forth, and I remember one time, it wasn't too far after that, um, I had one on one of my sprees, which was a, a nightly occurrence. It's something I. It's just what I did. I mean, there was no room for anything else in my life but getting loaded. It's all I did, day in and day out. And um, and one time I had went. I was particularly drunk one night and had to go get some of those outside issues, and I ended up buying a, a rock of self pity off a cop, you know, and. Um, I thought it was entrapment, but I, I couldn't prove it in a court of law. So they threw me in jail, and uh, and I remember writing to Robin and, and telling her, you know, I don't know, for whatever reason, I think it was kind of maybe a bottom for me, and I was really going to change. And, and I told her, you know, Robin, I'm in jail, and I lied to you all along. I'm, I'm a hopeless uh, drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. I bought a rock off a cop, and I'm sitting in the slammer right now. And I remember... Um, you know, that was it. I was going to change my life at that moment. I started taking parenting classes in the jail, and I started going to, to AA meetings in there, you know, and started writing her stuff, like, oh, we're going to do wonderful things, like go to museums and art shows, and, you know, all these things I wanted to do, but I could never get out of the dang garage to go do them, you know. I had always fancied myself type of an intellectual, you know, and 
I liked movies and the finer things in life, you know, but I just couldn't get out of the garage to engage in any of the activities I wanted to. But, but um, as, sure enough, as soon as I got out of jail, there was a plane ticket waiting for me, you know, just... Miss Robin sent me a plane ticket, you know. It's like, I, I guess the, I guess she, she must have believed me or something. It's the strangest thing. <laughs> and I had enough of California. You know, California was just bad news for me, you know. If I could just get out of that dang state and away from all them rotten drug addicts and alcoholics, and you know, I can finally be this, this person I want to be. And uh, so I moved to Denver, Colorado. And uh, the sad thing about Denver, Colorado, is they have all the same things they have in Orange County, California. You know, and it didn't take me long, long at all, to find out where all the bad things were. And um, I remember one night it was New Year's Eve, and uh, and I uh, so sad. We were we were out dancing, and 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 she was so happy. We were and we were drunk, and I, my mind was going. You know, my mind it, it's just a one-track mind. Once I take that first drink, and I can't stop. And she didn't know anything about this, and she didn't know anything about me. And as soon as she took off to the bathroom, she did the, the fatal mistake of leaving her keys on the table. And she hit the bathroom, and I hit those keys, and bam, and I took off in her car. And, um, and went and found the things I was looking for. And, um, you know, poor Robin, she walked home, and, and I brought home, I remember bringing home this, uh, bring, I don't know whether it was a man or a woman. I just remember her name was Nene, and uh, me and Nene came back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the thing was, is I had ran out of money, and I knew Robin. Robin had a little bit, of, little bit of stack left, and I, I had to. Me and Nene thought we could talk Robin out of some of her money, and and Robin had different ideas. And I remember she, she got Nene in her car and took her off to whence she came, and and um, that was just one of just many, many things that, um, you know, I had been with Robin. I've been with Robin now almost nine years. Nine years. And, and, you know, and I've been sober, and I've been sober for one year, so that can kind of tell you what's, you know, you guys know the, the story of our life, you know. Glad to see Hank here. Um, Hank talks a lot about, you know, getting that finger, and I used to get that finger from Robin, but it was usually a different finger, if you know what I mean. <laughs> she, uh, she was so nice and kind to me at first, you know. She was just like, it was like I left my mom and moved in with my mom, you know, and she took care of me, and I'd come back from a bender, and she'd be like, well, baby, are you hungry? Sure, go get me some chicken, or go get me some tacos, or whatever, and she used to kind of mother me, but after, you know, getting burned so many times, she quit doing that, and things started to get nasty, I mean, I remember I'd be gone, you know, it's like Dave, <laughs> Dave, man, he, he, he akins me to, uh, you remember that book, Where's Waldo? He said, <laughs> That was kind of me. Where's Alex? See if you could find Alex in the hood somewhere, you know. And she would go looking for me. Robin would go off on missions, and she'd go look for me, you know, off in the hood, some scary places. And, and it's funny because uh, I remember April, she used to be really into, you know, rap music, and she liked Tupac and Usher and all these guys. And, you know, she used to really jam to it and talk about the hood. And then one time Robin took April to go pick me up, and she said, you know, it's like, Robin's like, roll them up, girls, roll them up. And, and um, <laughs> April said, April said, Mom, is this the hood? <laughs> Robin said, yes, April, it is. She says, I don't like the hood. <laughs> and she would find me, you know. And most of the time she'd find me just to tell me she never wanted to see me again, you know. <laughs> she'd go for days. I would just be gone for days and days. And I'd just show up. I'd be out of money. And I'd show up at the front door. And I would, you know. 
I didn't know what Alcoholics Anonymous was at that point, but I remember just taking the first step on her doorstep, you know, just saying, please, if you just let me back in, I'll devote my whole life to recovery and I'll never do it again. And she'd just be like, okay, you know, and she'd let me in. And, <laughs> and she, and, and, you know, with promises of going to meetings, her dad's an alcoholic and he's been sober now for 16 years, I believe, and uh, almost 16 years. And he had gotten sober in a treatment center and, did the steps and and she started to tell me about her dad you know my dad's an alcoholic and and I started working for her dad and um and he would tell me you know Alex you got to do something about what you're doing it's bad enough that I was doing it to his family but but he understood what I was and I didn't know what I was so along this time I started going to meetings in in Denver and um it wasn't like this in Denver I remember um after one of my debacles one of my self-imposed crises I came home and um well, actually, it was the, I don't know if any of you remember, her father-in-law was here on my birthday, and he told a story about uh, one time I was working for him, and I got my paycheck on a Thursday. I don't know why they paid us on Thursdays. It's not a good day for an alcoholic to get paid, because you got to go to work on Friday, you know. And, and I got paid and, and went to go get a little something-something during lunch, and, um, you know, I took a drink. I took a drink. I got a 40-ounce of some malt liquor, and I took a drink. And, uh, and that was it, you know, it just set off the terrible cycle in motion, and needless to say, I didn't make it back to work, I didn't make it back to work the next day, I didn't make it back to, to the house for the whole weekend, and he was selling me a car that, it belonged to him, and, um, and I was paying for it, and I probably had paid a hundred out of a thousand, maybe, and, um, he was looking for his car, and, and, um, and it was a strange thing, I remember pulling up into the apartment, you know, I remember saying that prayer, driving home on the freeway and just screaming and just crying my eyes out. And just with every fiber of my being, just with, I meant the prayer, you know, God, please help me. God, please make it stop. Because I couldn't stop. I mean, I, I wanted to stop. I wanted to stop hurting the people that I, I claimed to love, but I just couldn't. I didn't know how. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I didn't know why, as soon as I took a drink, these terrible things just seemed to happen to me. And I remember pulling up in the driveway... And it just seemed like as soon as I pulled up and went in and shut the door, it seems like the car just got in reverse and whoop, just pulled out of the driveway. And Robin, uh, Robin took off with my car, and then her dad magically showed up and said, you know, Alex, we can do this two ways. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. He goes, you need to get your stuff and get out. And, um, you know, and he said, if you remember, it was one of the saddest things he'd ever seen because it took me all of about three minutes to get all my worldly possessions <laughs> together. And I'm walking down the street with the glad bag, you know, like Mike calls his Irish luggage. You know, I'm walking down the street, I guess would me be my uh, Mexican luggage down the street, you know. And, uh, and I made it around the corner to my friends and I called Robin. I said, Robin, I'm tired of it. I want to stop. I, I, I'll go to a meeting. I remember that night going to my first meeting at Alcoholics Anonymous in Wheat Ridge, Colorado at the Alano Club and, and just walking up these stairs and I was scared to death you know and, and I walked through the door and it was a smoke filled room and there was a lot of old men and I, I thought you know finally I can stop finally I can be free of this this terrible curse you know and uh, I remember this old guy came up to me and, and he gave me a, a 24 hour medallion it was a medallion I thought it was the coolest thing you know it wasn't a piece of plastic it was actually a sober medallion and he said kid I want you to, to put this in your mouth and if it melts, then you can take a drink, he told me. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool, you know. And, and, and I went home and took a drink, you know. I didn't, even, I didn't even put it in my mouth. I just went home and took a drink. Because it just, it, you know, I sat there and, um, and I saw a bunch of old guys smoking cigars. And, and I guess they were sober. I didn't even know what sober was. I didn't, still didn't know what was wrong with me. It was just kind of a place for old timers, I guess, to get together. And, and 
I don't know what they were doing in there, but I, I wasn't ready is what was wrong with me. And so I just, just kept getting drunk. And, and I had, there were some periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope, you know, and she's like, she happily saw that I meant business about a hundred different occasions, you know, where I'd go and get sober, undrunk for maybe a two week period. But I thought that if I could just quit drinking, then I could be okay, you know. So when I'd be about two weeks without a drink, I'd just quit going to meetings altogether, you know. It's like, well, I quit drinking, you know. It's like it's all uphill from here or downhill from here, you know. I can just be okay now, and, and I can play with the girls and, and go to parent-teacher conferences, you know, and and uh, maybe get my, my, my ducks in a row, you know. But, but alcohol didn't give a cluck about my ducks is what I found out, you know. I just got just got drunker and drunker and it just seemed to get worse and worse and by this time robin she she just had had enough of me you know and she just you, you gotta go buddy you gotta go get your stuff and get the heck out you know she wouldn't let me in no more and it, this this was about the darkest period of my life and i remember thinking you know what woman screw you now i can finally go drink the way i want to drink you know and 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 to tell you the truth i moved right into the hood you know went to the hood where all my bros were and and pretty much became a crackhead. I lived in a crack house for for a little while, and um, and and it was truly the darkest period of my life, where I had no job and I had no money, and I had a car for a period of time until one day the dope man came and he offered me some rocks and some beer money for my car, and it was too much. The madness that morning was so bad that I had to give it up. There was nothing else I could do. I had no solution, so I gave it to him, and I remember. Um, it was maybe one or two months later, walking down the road with my laundry, I had managed to, to go to a day labor place, and all I had were dirty clothes, and I had to get them washed. This particular day, I didn't take a drink. I went to the laundry mat first, and uh, I remember her dad had gotten into a, a horse accident that morning. They were going to go see him. They were driving down the road, and, and they saw me walking down the street with my bag and you know a couple of the brothers. You know They knew I had money, so they were going to go help me wash my clothes until I got done with that, then they could help me you know, get loaded, and, and I remember, um, we had a son by this time, you know, and um, I remember April and John and Christian just, and Robin getting out of the, the van, and, and I was scared, I thought she was going to, you know, lay it into me, and you sorry, I thought she was going to call me the names that I felt like, you know, I had been, uh, I was about a 30-year-old guy who had abandoned his, his children, I mean, I had become everything I despised in a man, I, that was me. You know, and I thought she was going to just get out of the car and just tell me how much she hated me. And I was going to say, you know, if you hate me, you need to stand in line behind me because no one hates me more than I hate myself. And that's the point I was. But she didn't do that. You know, she got out of the car and, and, and they all hugged me and, and we all cried and it was really a sad deal. And um, and she took off to the hospital and I went back to the crack house and just, you know, just kept getting loaded and kept getting loaded. And at this point... Um, I had had enough and, and was living in a shelter. I finally got into a shelter and I started going to different meetings in, in, in Denver and and um, I got serious about getting sober and found a group that I liked and ended up putting together a little bit of time and, and you know, Robin being the, the wonderful person that she is, um, somehow we agreed to get married and um, I had been sober. I had been sober about eight months and we were going to this church counseling and I had quit going to meetings altogether. You know, and um, it's the same, my, my same pattern. You know, I, I quit going to meetings, and um, the thought came to me, and we were supposed to go to this church counselor deal. You know, our pastor was going to marry us, so we had to go to this church counselor session together. And the thought came to me, Alex, just have one drink. 
just have one drink, you know. I mean, this is going to be your last hoorah. It wasn't even going to be a last hoorah. I just wanted to go and get loaded for maybe a, a, two hours before I had to go to this church meeting, and, and it didn't work out that way. And um, I ended up getting loaded all night again. And, you know, it's just um, people talk about dying, you know, and I don't want to die. And I don't know about that. I've never died before. I have no experience with death. But what the book talks about the horror, hopelessness, or remorse of the next morning. And I know I have that one down pat. I remember just morning after morning of just sitting there with just this terror gripping me and just pacing back and forth, back and forth. What am I going to do now? And I knew I had blown it this time. I knew that this was it. And sure enough, um, I don't know what had happened, but I had managed to get my car back. And I remember there was a letter in my car, I think, and um, it was from my uh, oldest daughter, Jonna. And it said, you know, Alex, um, um, you really would have made a good dad. I believe that. But um, but this has been too much, and now um, we're moving to Oklahoma. And, and that was truly the lowest period of my life. You know, I had definitely thrown away everything good and decent in my life and I was truly alone at this point right where I needed to be and and I was working at uh, at Beacons I was still a driver moving furniture and I remember I hooked up with this guy named Will and Will was a really I mean Will was kind of different he wasn't like a crackhead brother he he was a he was a a really uh oh, he looked like a movie star you know a real tall guy good looking really intelligent you know He's kind of an upper class guy. I mean, we, we still did the same things together, but he had all his teeth, you know, and he he didn't smell very bad, and he made it to work, and he was kind of a. Uh, I mean, my friend Will is like we got together, and, and self will ran riot. Let me tell you, we would we would get paid. We would get paid on Fridays, and and we would pull our money together, and we sometimes we'd have like fifteen hundred dollars, you know, and and it'd be gone. Let me tell you, Saturday morning it'd be gone. We would tear it up. And um, and this went on, and, and Robin was was asking for child support money, and she would, you know, I talked to her every Thursday, and you know, baby, I promise, because I'd go to meetings after I, I'd, I'd spend all my money, and I'd get sober, and during the time, you know, from Sunday to Thursday, I'd be a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, <laughs> and then Friday would come, you know, and, and she'd be waiting by the Western Union on Friday, and money never came. And um, and this went on for weeks, you know, and it got to, I got so bad at this point that finally Will even gave up on me. And he just, you know, I was too much for Will. He said, Alex, I've had enough of you. I can't I can't deal with you anymore, man. You're too much. And I was seriously on, on kind of like a death wish because my family was gone. My son was gone. And, um, you know, I was a bum. I was a drunken bum. And, uh, and I lived like one. I lived in my car. I remember living in a truck stop. I'd sleep. On Sundays, I'd go and I'd sleep in my truck, and um, and I remember just hearing the rats behind me in the bushes, and I could see these big giant rats. They looked like possums, you know, and they'd be screwing around the bushes, and I'd be scared, and you know, looking at the rats, and and I could take a drink, man, and oh, it just the 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 terror would turn to just like I think of myself like in the old west, you know. This is what they must have felt like out in the the chuck wagons, you know, out in the campfires and stuff. And take a drink, you know, my my shoulders would go back and my chest would flare out. I'd say, man, this ain't so bad, you know. What am I crying about? This is pretty cool, actually, living off the land out here like Clint Eastwood, you know. And 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 it would work until I would wake up, and then the madness would would ensue once again. And, um, you know, my wife, my beautiful wife, Robin, um, I ended up sending her some money, and uh, we got to talking, and I got a little bit of sobriety strung together, and she's, 
she agreed to let me move to Oklahoma with her. And um, it was, it's, I don't, I can't explain it, you know, but she let me move in one more time because this time for sure it was going to be different. And, um, and I got, quit my job and came to Tulsa and had a little bit of money and, and helped her with the bills and moved in with her. And, uh, well, of course, I wasn't supposed to move in with her. I was supposed to come and get my own apartment, but you know how that goes. And save more money if we just move in together, you know. And we ended up, uh, we ended up finally getting married, and I strung together a couple of weeks of sobriety. And I remember going to a group down in Broken Arrow, and um, it was the same group. I don't know, maybe the same people in Wheat Ridge, Colorado had moved to Broken Arrow, but it was the same deal, you know. And I went to this group, and, uh, and those, you know, people in there would just talk about uh, traffic on the BA and how bad it was and uh, what their boss did to them that morning. And, and I was just sitting there, and, and I used to love topic meetings, you know. Anybody got a topic for today? And if you say, yeah, 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 self-pity, self-pity, or uh, anger, anger. I used to love to pick the topic, you know. And talk about my self pity for an hour, and um, and uh, and I was just—I knew for a fact that if I didn't do something quick, if something didn't happen to me quick, it was just going to be California, Denver, all over again in uh, in Tulsa. And so I wasn't working; I was kind of looking for a job. And I remember opening up the phone book and calling all the moving agencies in the phone book. And um, I called the Mayflower agent in Broken Arrow, and I said, um, "You know, I, I'm a mover. I'm a driver. I need work. I just need some money. And you got anyone?" They said, "Yeah, actually, there's a lady who's moving um, in Broken Arrow tomorrow. Meet her. You know, this is the address. Meet the driver there." So I went to this house, and um, and I remember seeing this girl walking from the house to the garage and she had her car keys in her hand and I saw on the car key a little sober medallion and I said wow I said are you a friend of Bill and she said yes I'm a friend of Bill and I said well how long you got and she said three years and I said well you know I'm having a really hard time I'm an alcoholic and I'm having a hard time staying sober I got about two weeks now and I'm really getting scared because the heat's on and I don't know if I'm going to make it and she said well I know a place where you can go where you can get sober and um, it's called the Going Any Lengths Group, and it's in Tulsa. And she says, I'm going to write down the address if you're serious about getting sober. Because if you're not serious, I've got plenty of other groups for you to go to where you can go and just have fun and dance and do all the things you've been doing your whole life. But if you're serious about your sobriety and you really want to get sober, I'll give you this address. And I'm just like, give me that address, Jackie. You know, and um, I'm serious. And I remember, uh, I remember driving around. You know, I had the address for a few days, and I remember driving around um, Broken Arrow, you know, and, and, and it was bad this particular night. It was really bad, and I was going to drink. I had to drink. I had no choice. And I remember going to that meeting in Broken Arrow instead of drinking because I said, man, I don't want to drink, but I'm going to have to if this doesn't stop. And I remember going to that Broken Arrow meeting at 4 to 8, and uh, it was locked, and the doors were closed, 3 to 8, 2 to 8, 8 o'clock, 8.05, and there was just no one there. It was in the booklet as a meeting at 8 o'clock, and nobody showed up, you know, and I didn't know what to do. But I happened to have that address, and I looked at my little Tulsa map book and found out where 1314 South Peoria was and took off. I remember I took um, 44 down to Peoria so I could take the long way instead of taking the BA. That take you off right there where you need to be. I took 44 and drove all the way out, wherever that takes you off, 51st or something, and drove the long drive down Peoria and, and showed up about 835. 
And I remember walking in the doors of the Golden Links group, and it was this group that just had chairs all the way around. It wasn't what I was used to. I needed tables at my meetings, you know. Because if you got a table at your meeting, you would kind of push, put your head down and weep, you know, as people are speaking. <laughs> or, or, or sleep, or sleep, whatever, you know, hits you. You know, I can remember sometimes that they'd be saying the Lord's Prayer, and I had drool coming off my mouth, you know, just like, oh, oh, you know. And, um, and, and this group was different. I remember coming in, and, and they had no tables. And they went around, the chairs went around. And I sat in that last, the door was there, and I sat in the last chair where, where Mike sat. And I just had basically one foot towards the door, you know. And I came in socks and thongs and shorts and a big heavy coat and a hat and I had a goatee. You know, I looked around, and that's not what I saw, you know. The people I saw were all clean-shaven and dressed. And they spoke about recovery, and it was really freaking me out, man. I couldn't wait to get the heck out of there and tell you the truth. And I remember um, after the meeting, and we said the Lord's Prayer, and, and I was just going to leave to shoot out the door, and I just got rushed by about six guys, you know. It's like, hey, my name's Scott. You know, how you doing? I remember Scott Johnson sat next to me. He's like, hey, man, I'm your temporary sponsor. And I'm like, say what? Man, I don't even know you. You know, I need to, to get to know my sponsor and see how sensitive he is. I need someone who can relate to me, you know. I don't even know you. And he said, this is my sponsor. And I remember David coming up to me. And I remember David looked kind of mean, I thought. And, um, and it was kind of a different deal. I remember... I managed to get back a couple nights later, and, and they were having a men's prayer meeting over at Byron's that night, and they invited me to go. And we played poker till about 3:30 in the morning. <laughs> we played poker till about. Well, that they told me it was a prayers meeting. I didn't know. <laughs> I needed some spirituality in my life, but uh, I remember. Boss and Mike was there, and Byron was there, and Mickey was there, and, and we ended up, uh, I did something I had never done. I decided to try and be a part of something, because I knew if I didn't, I, there was going to be trouble, and I was going to lose everything I had once again, throw it away, not lose, throw it away, but uh, we ended up playing poker till about 3.30 in the morning that night, and I thought, man, this is different, and these guys are all right. I remember Byron, man, Byron used to always tell me when I was brand new, in case no one ever told yourself, I love you, he'd tell me. I love you, you know. And I'd always tell him about how I had to get up so early in the morning. And he'd look at me and just smile and say, I love you, Alex. He'd come back, you know. And I, I never knew what that meant. Why did he always tell me that? He never told Mickey that or Scott that or anybody else. He, just, he loved me. And I remember going to a sponsorship meeting a couple nights after that. I remember Scott telling me, well, if you want me to be your sponsor, you'll be there. And once again... 8.30 came around, I showed up around 8.40 and uh, walked in the door and David asked me, you know, well, what's your name? And I told him, what's your sobriety name? I don't know. Well, just take a guess. I told him, I don't know, and sat down. And I think about that now. What a punk I must have looked like, you know. Just, But um, I thought it was kind of a strange deal. I remember going home and telling Rob, you know, they got some kind of cult deal going on over there, babe. I don't know what's going on. There's this guy sitting on this big chair. We're all on the floor over here. There's this guy over here in a big, comfortable chair, and he talks. We don't even get a share. Our experience, strength, and hope, you know, it's all about what this, who is that guy anyway, you know? I didn't know nothing. I just remember thinking Dave had it really good, you know, and people went and mowed his lawn. I thought, man, what is going these guys are a bunch of schmucks, man. This guy is like a David Koresh or somebody, you know. I don't know. <laughs> maybe we were all going to suit up and go to Waco or something, you know. But it, it just really blew me away. But, you know, one thing that I, I heard things, what blew me away is I heard things I'd never heard before, you know. And I saw people that were involved and people that were staying sober. 
And instead of just walking away with, you know, my stupid petty judgments, you know, that's all I do is judge people, you know, my self-righteousness, I stayed, you know. And when they went on a road trip, I got in the van and went with them. And it was a strange deal. They introduced me to the pecking order, and I didn't like that one bit, you know. I mean, I, I was a professional driver, and they never let me drive on the road trip, so I always had to sit in the back of the van, you know, way in the back. When we ate, I was the last one to eat. What's your sobriety date? Oh, November 5th. Get in the back, buddy. Get in the back. Way in the back, you know. And and and, and, and I got a lot of, uh, I just, it was just, I got involved, you know, and I just, for the first time in my life, I just felt, I felt sober, you know, there were things going on, and I started to get involved, I started to, uh, I started to enjoy coming, you know, and, and at this point in time, my wife, you know, they talk about Al-Anon-ism, or whatever it's called, uh, being deadly, and I could never understand that, I was like, oh, what do you got to be whining about, you know, I'm the one who's, who's drunk, you know, look at my life. Look at me. You know, <laughs> just look at me. And um, and Rob, and you know, my wife. There were times in my earlier sobriety when when Robin would cry. I'd be I'd be going to meeting after meeting, and I'd get home and she'd be crying. You know, and she actually told me she thought about suicide, and I couldn't understand it because I was sober. It's like, baby, you said if I would just. She used to tell me all the time, you know, if you would just get sober, everything. I say you're full of it, Robin. If I got sober, you'd find something else to complain about. You know. No matter what it was, and I was just—I'm a jerk. I guess I'm still a jerk, but um, you know, I just thank God that there's a place my wife can come. You know, because now this is our group. This is my family's group. You know, we come here to get recovery together. You know, she doesn't stay at home thinking about killing herself. You know, and 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 I'm getting sober. You know, I've been sober now for over a year, and there's been a lot of great things that have happened to me. You know, I got a chance to make amends to my father. I got a chance to make amends to my mother. She came down here, and um, you know, I, I actually bought her a plane ticket to come down here. You know, me who's done nothing but steal from her my whole life. I bought her a plane ticket to come out here to see what goes on on somebody's one-year birthday. You know, and she got a chance to see that her son's okay today. You know, her son, and that there's no greater gift I could give my mom. You know, my, my brother is, is, I believe, one of us. He, he, he quacks like a duck and, and all that other stuff. And, and um, he lives with her with his kids, and, and she knows that I'm okay, you know. And, and I, just, I just thank God for, for David and for Susan. I remember going out um, a little over a year ago. I went out, you know. I had went to go enlarge my stack. I had to get my stack a little bit bigger, you know. It was all about money. I was sober now. I could go get, you know, get, make some money. Um, it was time for, for me to move on. My boss was telling me this. You know, those people have done, they've done for you what they could, man. It's time to move on. And I, and I, I listened to him, and it took me two weeks. And I was down the street here in a motel on Admiral, um, crawling around the floor like an animal on July 3rd of 2001. And um, then the next, you know, the, that night, Robin went to a meeting and, um, and was crying to Susan. And Susan took her out and sat her next to Dave, and he explained to her the disease of alcoholism and told her it doesn't matter, Robin, if he comes back or not. We want him to, and we welcome him if he does. But if he doesn't, you're always welcome here, and we'll scoop you guys up. And we'll, we'll uh, you know, you can stay with us. And, and, you know, for that, I'll just be internally grateful, you know, that they just devote their lives to this. You know, they, they give their lives for, for, for people like us that we can come, you know. And, and our life together was just i mean i can't describe the mess that our life was i mean there was no hope for my wife and me before we came here you know there was nothing 
nothing but um but just continued pain and misery you know and thanks to a program called Alcoholics Anonymous and the Going in the Links group <clears throat> we don't have to live that way anymore and thank you Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.